0: From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm your host, Ryan Dietrich. As you lower economic growth expectations, that reduces the amount of
1: inflation uh, that the market, in theory, would price in, right? So more growth tends to mean more inflation, which tends to mean higher yields. Therefore, it works the opposite.
2: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of the LPL Market Signals podcast. Ryan Dietrich here and Jeff Bookbinder. Jeff, today is a special, well, put it this way, all of our podcasts are very special. Some are more special than others. This is the 100, and assuming Google Podcasts has this number right, we've done 149 according to Google Podcasts, this is our 150th podcast. Do you feel older?
1: Well, I mean, when you do the math, it's about three years, so uh, uh, being, being around to do this three years doesn't make me feel that old, no. I'm just glad you didn't bring up football. To be honest,
2: oh, well, we can go there. I, I forget what happened to the Chiefs. Oh, that's right. They're one and one, like my Bengals. This is one of the few times in history I could say our teams have the same record because I'm pretty sure starting next week when the Bengals play at Pittsburgh, it's uh, not going to be that way. Who do the Chiefs have? Uh, Sandy, yeah. e- not San Diego, Los
1: Angeles Chargers.
2: Okay, <laughs> yeah, we're well, still getting
1: used to that change.
2: Oh, exactly, exactly. So yeah, so let's re- reel it back in just for a second. So. We, we sometimes get on these tangents. Um, yeah, I mean, just thanks so much to everybody who's continued to listen to this podcast. Obviously, it started as a pure podcast. Now we do share it on our YouTube channel as well. It's amazing. You know, when I get to go talk to advisors and our clients and their clients, or 19,000 advisors, how many come up to me and say they really, really like the podcast? And I know a lot of clients like the podcast as well, listeners out there. So just thank you to everyone who's who's part of this. I think we're nearing a half a million downloads the last three years um, as well. Many, many five-star reviews. Uh, majority of the reviews on iTunes are five stars. So thanks to just everybody uh, for being a part of this. And and we'll keep doing it. You know, who knows? Maybe someday Jeff will hit a 1,000. We'll be pretty old by then. My back will probably be a real disaster by then. But, um, you know, uh, it's um, it's been a lot of fun. What's one thing you've learned, Jeff? I know we kind of did this when we had the three-year anniversary. What's one thing you've kind of learned about yourself or about podcasting or just anything, you know, doing 150 of these?
1: Hmm. Well, I'd say it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I think, you you know, we, we try to make this entertaining and engaging to some extent. Um, you know, it's, it's about educating around, around the markets more than anything yep. else. But um, I guess I've, maybe it's been a little bit surprising how much fun it's been. Um, you yeah, know, that would probably be uh, my first observation. And then I guess I've been flattered by how many people listen. I mean, you just yeah. went through some of the numbers Um, You know, when I talk to our advisors and they say, hey, we love the podcast or, you know, heard you guys on on your morning call. uh, It just it really I mean, that's what it's about. Right. We're doing it to try to help these folks. And when we can have impact, it's really fulfilling.
2: Absolutely. I think mine is people enjoy the stories. I mean, you want you come for the market research and then hopefully some some good ideas and explaining, dumbing down what's going on in a very, very complicated world. But, you know, when I had the issues with my Volvo, uh, give the weekly updates, which was just a disaster if you kind of remember that story. You guys loved it. You loved the pain that I had to go through for the terrible service that I had with my Volvo <laughs> and the different things. So anyway, a lot of fun there. Um, so yeah, so let's just let's move forward, Jeff. I mean, thanks again though, to everybody has been listening to this podcast. It means a lot to all of us uh, for sure at LPL and LPL Research. So, you know, this week, Jeff, we're gonna talk a little bit about Evergrand. I think I keep calling it Evergreen, which is proof I didn't even knew this, know this company existed about a week ago, but now we're 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 all experts on it. Uh, Evergrande and what it means for the fallout in China and potentially the fallout globally. Going to talk about yields. We've just uh, gently lowered our ten-year yield forecast. Going to kind of get into that. Obviously, Lawrence Gillum, friend of the show, but on the show a lot. He made that call. Jeff and I are equity guys. We're going to do our best to talk about bonds. Why we lowered our yield there, and then finish it up with a little Fed talk, and then just a little bit about stocks and seasonality, and then you know hopefully. um, That'll be it, I guess. Hopefully have some good, good, have a good time along the m- middle of it too. So Jeff, Grand, literally before we started doing this, I called it Evergreen. I know it's Grand, but I don't know. Did you even, have you ever heard it? let's be honest, have you ever heard of this company two weeks ago and you ever heard of them?
1: I had heard of them two weeks ago, mm-hmm. but I would say probably not two months ago.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yes. I, I um, I think last Monday. So let's see. So about eight days, we're recording this Tuesday morning. I think about eight days ago, I was at a event down in Florida with some of our advisors. So great to get out, by the way. And I actually got an email from a, a reporter asking about it. And I was like. What are they talking about? They just said like, oh, what do you think of this Evergrande stuff? I'm like, what's Evergrande, you know, so <laughs> I'll be fully, fully, aware, fully um, out there. I had never heard of it, but it's just really unique because we're going to get into the nitty gritty of it, Jeff. You know, we had Scott Brown, uh, chief technician on our team on this podcast, maybe two or three months ago. We went through the technicals. I mean, Scott said, listen. Something's going on in China. There's a lot of weakness here in China. We've talked about emerging markets. We downgraded our view in emerging markets. Um, last month, we've been more neutral. We've like developed international over EM pretty much all of this year. And we've said there's something going on in China that, that just doesn't add up. There's some weakness going on. And now, boom, now you've got you know literally one of the largest real estate companies in the world with 300 billion dollars worth of debt Now who knows, maybe by the time people hear this might have gone under, you know, I mean, stocks down 85%, at least as of year to date, as of Monday evening. Um, so Jeff, let's just kind of dive into it. I guess the question is, you know, the domino effect, right? Could this be the first domino? LPL, we've written blogs and talked, we don't think it's the first domino, kind of walk me off the ledge why this isn't the first domino, this isn't another Lehman moment, like we saw, by the way, exactly three years ago, right now
1: yeah i think there's there's really two big reasons if you try to keep this complex situation simple uh why this isn't the next lehman or maybe you go to three reasons you know one i mean the chinese communist party is not going to let this become contagion mm-hmm. because you know if chinese banks go down by the way chinese state owned enterprises right they're owned by the owned and controlled by the uh, communist party essentially so you have um You know, the Chinese government needs the banks to function and the financial system to function to provide credit to to be an engine for the um,
2: uh, the Jerry. Hold on one second. I'm sorry. You know, most people maybe still don't know what this is. I'll just set this up real easily. Again, this is one of the largest real estate companies in the world with more than 300 billion dollars worth of debt. It's leveraged. All of a sudden, this company, is they can't repay their, their all the debt they have, and they're starting to go under. Real estate uh, stocks in China are just crashing. Chinese stock market's been crashing. So I don't know if we really summed that up for the average listener, because, again, I just heard of this company eight days ago, so maybe this is the first someone's heard of this company. But the, the worry, again, guys, is that the real estate market in China is hot. Now it's starting to crater. Large companies are cratering. What could that fallout mean? Sorry, Jeff. I just wanted to make sure we kind of yep. leave the groundwork there. So yeah, uh, pick it up where you were there. Sorry about that.
1: Sure. No, glad, glad you did that to make sure everybody knows where where we're at. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the question is, you know, just like Lehman failed and that, that created market contagion, uh, will Evergrande be the same situation? So, you know, reason number one is Chinese Communist Party control. They have yep. tremendous control over their economy. They don't want this to become contagion. Uh, and so they won't let it <laughs> become contagion. That's that's reason number one. Number two, there's much better collateral, right? This property development company, they have property that can be sold, even if it's unfinished property, they have other things that can be sold too. Mm-hmm. Um, Lehman really just had a bunch of securities and, and they could not be sold in for the most mm-hmm. part. So in a bankruptcy, the collateral against the debt is gonna have a lot more uh, value, right? You wrote about this on our blog yeah. on Friday, Ryan, on lplresearch.com, right? So the bankruptcy process will if it happens, which is probably more likely than not at this point, will result in higher uh, recovery rates. And then the last thing is uh, the banks in China don't have as much exposure to this, right? And, you know, really broader, they don't have as much exposure to Evergrande as the global financial system had exposure to Lehman-backed assets. Right. It's just it's just not as broad. So this is this is going to be contained uh, to China because there's very little exposure to Evergrande debt held outside of uh, the uh, outside of China and outside of the Chinese banking system.
2: Uh, Absolutely. I mean, I think that's one of the key points. Right. You mentioned really the three big ones that we see there. But just the idea that. Back when Lehman went under, was it Lehman or Layman? What? Do you, what is it? I mean, it's been so long. How do you pronounce it? Uh, Lehman for sure. Lehman. Lehman. All right. Lehman. So Lehman is like layman terms. We're not going to go that. But in layman terms, when Lehman went under, just about every financial institution had some of them on their books, one way or another. And again, when you look at this, it's not nearly as widespread, and that's uh, one positive. The other thing, and yet, let's think back, if we want, the last time we had about a 5% correction, right? We're right there. I think we're on 4.2% approximately as of Monday night on the S&P 500, so almost 5%, right? We were there till the intraday rally on Monday at least. Um, we had the issues with GameStop. right. And everyone was worried about who's on the other side of these trades. Could the market be falling over? Could that be the first domino effect? But some big institutions were in a lot of trouble, obviously, shorting GameStop and when the stock soared like it did. But back then we said, listen, look, okay, that's an issue. Right, we're not ignoring it. But what are the credit markets doing? What are the short-term lending markets doing? How are those things looking? Are they functioning? Remember, it was the money markets in early-ish 2000, uh, 2008 that really started to have the issues before all the trouble came six, seven, eight, nine months later. Um, and again, what we said then in early February this year, credit markets are acting just fine. We did not think this was the first domino effect. Honestly, as crazy as it sounds, People were talking about in early February the whole system coming down because of these trades that were going up uh, with GameStop. Fortunately, that wasn't the case. And by the way, Jeff, with meme, remember when silver was a meme stock? Remember that? Remember the 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 the, the Reddit crowd was gonna corner the silver market? <laughs> that, that didn't happen. Anyway, um we had like one day silver popped and then it rolled over. But um still, so where, where am I going with this? Um so but so you look at it and right now, right? So back then the credit markets were the smartest guys in the room. You look at right now. Similar, similar things. Yes, high yield spreads are, are, I would say, blowing out, but clearly increasing in China. Some worries of stress financial market in China. We're we're aware of that because what we're talking about. But if you look at the US, my goodness, credits of fault swaps on uh, Goldman and Citigroup and some of these big institutions that are likely, if something's going down somewhere, they're probably going to be leveraged into it very, very little uh, stress there. Credit markets are showing little stress here in the United States. Uh, European yields are relatively calm. So I guess the, the way to put it is, hey, the credit markets are some of the smartest guys in the room. They're not super worried as of the time we're recording this Tuesday morning, that this is going to become a much, much wider and broader based um, concern. I mean, Jeff, any, um, I don't know, any comments to add to what I just uh, kind of went on a rant about there?
1: Um, I guess last thing I'll point out on this is that um, this is a high yield credit, Mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, I think last, some of the more recent loans were, you know, well into the teens in terms of the percent, you know, the yield, uh, the interest that they had to pay to borrow before their troubles began um, to surface. So um, that also makes us different from Lehman Brothers, right? Lehman was, you know, viewed essentially by the market as rock solid, you know,
2: Yeah
1: essentially AAA, right? That was the big problem with the financial crisis. People thought they had rock solid AAA debt and um, it turned out to be complete trash. Um, This is not, um, this isn't the case here. I think the expectations for investors in Evergrande uh, are going to be closer to reality.
2: It's a great point. I mean, that's a really good point that, yeah, they, they, they weren't triple A coming into a lot of this trouble. And by the way, kind of seeing something that turns into trash at the end, I think that feels like every fantasy football team that I've ever had. I feel was pretty good about week one or two. And then it turns out it was just a it was it was true. You know, I don't know. whatever. And it was junk the whole time. It was not high grade investment grade. Uh, um Bonds, it was it was junk. Anyway, so Jeff, all right. So the good discussion there. We're going to follow this one obviously very closely. We're going to talk a little bit more near the end of this uh, podcast about hey, listen, it's been a while since volatility. It's been the seasonality. All these things add up. i said it, you know, three weeks ago when we were talking on this podcast, saying, listen, we could have the regular seasonal weakness after a hundred and four percent rally. You know, a year, almost a year without a five percent correction. We could blame it. On who knows what we're going to blame it on? I, you know, I, we said the Fed, we said inflation, and just a couple of weeks ago, you know, we no one quite realized this was out there. Maybe we're going to blame it on uh, the concerns in China, um, but still, I guess it, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there soon. But I think it all kind of says maybe um, could be a buying opportunity for a lot of equity investors. I guess the way to put it. But maybe Jeff, before we go there, maybe not all equity investors. Let's talk about emerging markets, right? I mean, we we've said we downgraded emerging markets to negative uh, last month. We've been leaning that way. We've said we like developed international more than emerging markets pretty much all year. We like it in the United States the most, though. Um, you know, would you want to dip your toe in now as, you know, uh, equity strategist at LPL Research? Is now the time to start dipping your toe into emerging markets? There's a lot of blood in the water.
1: Yeah, we don't think so. You know, the official LPL Research view is still negative, and we're not even having discussions about <laughs> buying this just yet. Um, right. In fact, um, you know, typically something like this takes a little bit more time to play out, right? I mean, we don't even know what Evergrande's fate is yet. Um, And China, even separate from Evergrande, is experiencing a slowdown. And their growth rate right now doesn't really look a whole lot better than some of the other major global economies that are coming out of COVID. So uh, you don't really have a great, um, you know, growth tailwind right now. To invest in China, um, and then you have, you know, the Evergrande, and on top of this regulatory crackdown right. that's going on over there. I mean, my kids are praying that they won't have their video game time limits, <laughs> you know, reined in. Uh, right. I'll tell you that. Um, so this is a, you know, this is going to take some time to play out. So we think being careful with emerging markets for the next at least few months uh, makes a lot of sense, uh, even though the valuations um, look pretty attractive
2: on the surface. Yeah, I don't think my 13 year old daughter could survive if she couldn't have her TikTok um, throughout the day. It's uh, anyway, so let's move forward. Uh, <laughs> you know, actually, maybe before we go there. So, we talk about the global economy, talk about China. Jeff mentioned this before we started. I watched uh, Fast and Furious Nine last night there's nine of them it cost 200 million dollars it made 700 million a lot of that was made in china um have you seen by chance fast and furious 9 the latest in the incredible franchise of fast and furious i have not seen it uh but i'm sure you're going to tell me about it (laughs) yeah clearly somebody's seen it. it made it made you know almost a trillion dollars you know give or take um Unbelievable. I think they wreck like 300 cars. It's just, it it is truly, they literally shoot guys into space this time. I mean, it is so absurd. They even get the joke. They're like, one of them's like, you know, I think it's one of the guys is like, how have we never died? Like, how have we never died? You know, all the stuff we do, we never die. And like, I don't know, you know. They go and then they shoot themselves into space. And it was great. I, I love those things. I do think I like Mission Impossible a tad more. I don't really know why. I, I don't know. But both those series are just wonderful. Um, and they keep keep one-upping it. And if you have know, seen Fast 9, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, you said you're a Bond guy, right? How long have you been a Bond fan?
1: Oh, as long as I can remember. Um, probably going back to high school.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's it's a great, great franchise. I'm looking forward to seeing the next one.
2: I always like Casino Royale because it had like they're buying puts on financials and it's kind of gambling in a casino. And it just kind of had a, a financial-ish feel to it um, in, in that one. But anyway, enough about that. We can go all day on that. But Fast 9 is pretty wild. All right, Jeff. So we at LPL Research this week, um, I guess on Monday technically, um, lowered our 10-year yield forecast uh, for, for the end of the year. Now, not by a lot, but we did lower it. And um, you know, we were expecting the 10-year yield to finish between 175 and 2%. We dropped that 25 basis points, um, you know, when all is said and done. And Lawrence, I mean, Lawrence obviously made the call. Lawrence, obviously our um, fixed income strategist on the team. Um, you know, what, um, you know, there's three kind of, I guess what, two or three big reasons why we did that. Uh, Jeff, you know, what, what's, what do you think? What's the number one reason? Why did we kind of lower our uh, forecast on yields when we, when it seems like the U S economy still, still chugging along pretty good.
1: Yeah, I think there's, there's two reasons. Mm-hmm. If, if we, Debated which one's more meaningful.
2: That that might be uh, a really interesting discussion, frankly. Well, let's, let's have Lawrence do that, because you and I, we're just playing a uh, fixed income strategists right now as equity guys. We'll ask Lawrence a tough question yeah, next time.
1: There you go. So the two reasons are low rates over uh, overseas, right? You know, when you have uh, zero or negative yields in Europe and Japan, mm-hmm. then our treasuries, even if they only yield 1.3%, look attractive. Okay. So foreign right. buyers are capping our yields that's happened you know a little bit the, the duration of that that narrative i think is probably longer than we had anticipated and so there's a little bit of a uh, of that going on with taking down our yield forecasts and the other reason is just we've got a little bit of a delayed reopening right yeah. um, with delta and so as you lower economic growth expectations that reduces the amount of inflation uh, that the market, in theory, would price in, right? So more growth tends to mean more inflation, which tends to mean higher yields. Therefore, it works the opposite way. So a little bit less growth in the near term uh, means lower yields, but that doesn't mean that this recovery uh, reacceleration is is not coming, right? We just think it's pushed out maybe uh, a few months is all.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I and mean, you know, we've talked a good deal about how historically when copper Uh, Industrial metals in general are strong, tenure yield tends to follow Now, the time we're recording this, copper is down a couple more percent. I mean, the the industrial metals in general have taken a leg down. Still expect those to go higher, but again, a lot of that does have to do with some of the issues in China as they gobble, I guess I'm gonna say gobble up. I don't know if you can gobble up copper, but they gobble up a good deal of the global uh, copper demand. Um, So all those things kind of play into a little bit lower yields. Now, Jeff, let's talk though uh, more specifically about what just happened on Monday, right? I mean, S&P was down, I believe about 1.7%, one of the worst months, I'm sorry, one of the worst days the year, yet the 10-year yield was only down a couple basis points. And then you come in Tuesday morning, 10-year yield's up a couple basis points, almost where it was on Friday, yet you get all the swirling bad news. I mean, to me, that's encouraging. I mean, yeah, the stock market sold off. But if we had a pure risk-off environment, to me, I think the 10-year yield would be down significantly. What was your take, or what is your take, I guess, on the yield action the last two days, at least from a U.S. point of view?
1: Yeah, this is LPL market signals, and there's a positive signal. There you go. Um, it, you know, it's not just stability of yields; it's maybe suggesting that we won't have evergreen contagion, and we won't have a, you know, a sustained period of slower growth. We we still have a, a little bit of a rebound ahead of us. Um, but you can look at other signals, right? I know you look at this stuff a lot, Ryan. Like. Um, you know, the, the risk on sectors versus yeah. risk off sectors, right? Like consumer discretionary relative to consumer staples. You can look at transports relative to utilities, um, high beta versus low beta. How are the volatile stocks doing relative to the less mm-hmm. volatile stocks? Um, all of these signals are suggesting that, you know, things are pretty benign uh, right, right now, and that the, you know, our view. Uh, that that the stock market can continue to go higher with some bumps, but continue to go higher between now and the rest of the year. I mean, that looks like um, uh, the right positioning to us here. Still,
2: no, yeah, I, I don't have too much to add there. I mean, you know, now Jeff, you know, one thing I didn't think we'd go this route, but I, I watched some CNBC, um, you know, yesterday from home, and and one of the things they had a couple of guests come on. They said, listen, you know, some of the economic weakness. Some of the data has been a little on the weak side, although last week we actually got Empire State was really strong, Philly Fed was really strong, the retail sales was, was better than expected, but still overall we've seen some cracks in the, um, I guess in the um, economy. What I want to ask you about, though, is what I was hearing on CNBC was some of the earnings estimates have been a little weak over the last week or so. I, I don't know is that is that true? I mean, you're the earnings guru. Have you have you seen some of that? It seems like we're kind of in a dead period with earnings. But what what's your take? Because that was on CNBC yesterday. I'm not sure I buy it. What, what, what do you think?
1: Well, it's it's marginal, but we have seen estimates come down just just a touch. Yeah. Uh, some of it's probably um, related to the China slowdown that you know is is coming. Um, I think part of it is related to the supply chain challenges that a lot of companies are facing right now, shortages of certain materials. So yeah, that stuff, we're starting to hear more. I mean, we've been hearing a lot about that for the last couple quarters, but right. we're starting to hear from more companies that those things are actually uh, causing them to uh, lower their margin guidance. So, you know, the the quarters of massive upside surprises in earnings probably behind us. Uh, That doesn't mean we won't get big growth numbers, probably still gonna be up 30% Mm -hmm. in earnings in Q3, but uh, we're just probably not gonna see the massive upside.
2: Yeah, I mean, as of now, at least third and fourth quarter, both expected to see at least 20% earnings growth. That's interesting. But yeah, I I think, you know, historically, you've talked about this before. You know, you kind of get a little bit lower. um, Earnings estimates go down a little bit before earnings season kicks off. And then earnings season kicks off in a couple of weeks. And then we'll see what happens. But nothing, I don't think anything too too concerning. You do mention, though, the whole supply chain issues. As, As you know, Jeff, I woke up yesterday on Monday. My phone was dead. I'm like, that's weird. I plugged it in nothing happening. I put on one of those wireless chargers, nothing happening. I go to Verizon, they do this stuff. It's it's dead. Like it's just, it's probably over a two-year-old phone. So I did need a new one, but it was dead. So I spent like an hour at, and listen to this story. So anyway, so, so I, the phone I wanted, I wanted a pick Google Pixel. I love my Google Pixels. They don't even have them. Talk about supply chain issues. They, you can't buy one. There's like They're not out there. There's none in the world. I'll going to go on eBay and pay a lot of money. But here's the issue I had. So I get this new phone, right? And it's all Android based. I put all my account in and they say, we sent the text to your phone. What's the four digit code? I'm like, well, my phone's dead. We spent almost 45 minutes trying to figure out how in the world, We get this code, but my phone is dead. Long story short, I had to give me a different Android phone. I had to download the Google app, had to sign into the Google app on some random phone in Verizon, and they sent the four-digit code to that phone. I'm like, I can't be the first person to have a phone die. How do you get this code? Anyway, I don't know. Kind of That was aggravating. But as of now, I now have a Samsung 20. I don't know, something like that. I'm not crazy about this. I miss my Pixel. You're an iPhone iPhone guy, right, Jeff? Oh, yeah.
1: I've been an iPhone guy uh, pretty much since the beginning. So you so I can't the, I can't comment 13, on your yeah. you getting
2: a 13 then? You all geared up to get you a 13 here in a week or two? I'm well,
1: not an early adopter. Um yeah. okay. I usually wait for um you know, at least maybe 3 years once you start to see the battery life really suffer and and, right. and replace it then. So uh I've got the XR and I think the one before that I had was the 8. Okay.
2: Yeah. I had a Pixel 3, I wanted the Pixel 5 and you just can't get one. Anyway, enough about that. All right, so let's go forward here, Jeff. Um we did lose a great one. You know, Norm McDonald passed away. Um, I mean, I was gonna talk a little bit about this, Jeff. i not put you on the spot too much. Do you have any any Norm stories or anything you want to point out about Norm? And I, I can talk about it if not.
1: Yeah, I, I um I did watch some of the, you know, some of the clips yep. online, some of his funnier moments. And yeah, he's such a funny guy, really a brilliant comedian. Um, you know, I can't say, and I remember on Saturday Night Live. Sure. definitely was great there
2: yeah i mean he, he was great yeah i mean he literally got fired from saturday night live because he kept making oj jokes they said listen stop making oj jokes and he's like no i'm making them and he made them and they fired him right i mean but he, he kind of stood up for what he believed in and he went and did other things and he's got a shit well had a show, I guess I should say just recently on Netflix. Right. And it wasn't just like, he's got his buddies coming in spade and Sandler and this He He would bring like smaller people in, newer people, people that he kind of found funny to try to help him. And he told this story you read about him. Like he's from Toronto. There are, I mean, Canada's got some amazing comedians over, over, over the years. I mean, anyway, but he just talked about how he was literally broke, right? Like totally broke living on the street um, for, for a time. Then he hit it big and, and, but just kind of the way he views the world as someone who's been broke and didn't have a silver spoon in their mouth. I always kind of respect that a little bit more Uh, just really fascinating. What I did not quite realize he had a major gambling issue. Um, he, He said he'd fly to Vegas and get 40 grand and then he'd take it to the casino that night and, you know, win, lose. But I mean, he, he had an addiction with, with, uh, with gambling, but, but none, nonetheless, um, just, uh, I, I thought he was hilarious. Just the dry humor, you know, he's just, <laughs> in fact, he got fired. No, he's going to get fired from SNL pretty good gig. I think it kind of says, uh, says a lot about him, but, uh, uh yeah, anyway, just, uh, just sad. Um, and, oh, then the, the, the real kicker, at least to me was you know, he's been sick for 10 or 11 years. You know, he told some people, it wasn't like he broadcasted, Like even apparently owned family members, like he was sick. He didn't really tell them. I mean, that's kind of, that's unique, right? I mean, you know, he did, he said he wasn't looking for sympathy, right? He, and he still had his Netflix show. He's still doing a Netflix show and he's obviously very, very ill. So anyway, so Norm's uh, a great one. We're going to miss him. And, um, you know, definitely, like you said, just f- find any old clips with him. The stuff he, uh, <laughs> he, he did and said was, was great. All right, Jeff, uh, we're going to wrap this up here in three or four minutes, because it's probably not a ton of stuff to say. The Fed meeting. Isn't it funny? Because a week ago, Jeff, I would have assumed the Fed meeting would have kicked this off, this whole podcast, and we we punted it back to the back with some of the other news that's going on. Uh, we have a Fed meeting um, this Wednesday. You know, I, I don't know. I don't. They're going to lay the groundwork for um, tapering. Probably not going to announce official tapering until maybe a little bit later. Tapering probably starts later this year, maybe early next year. Uh, do you expect any curveballs from the Fed this week, Jeff? Mm-hmm.
1: No, I really don't. Uh, Because, you know, whether they go in December, January, or February, it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things, right? I think if there is a curveball uh, coming, it'll be uh, around the timing between the tapering of these bond purchases Mm -hmm. and actual rate hikes, right? There's been a lot of discussion about that. Uh, Some people think it should be a year. You know, Powell made some comments Uh, recently that suggested that maybe that should be longer uh, than a year. But, you know, I actually just saw a quote from um, the former Dallas Fed President Fisher saying he thinks some of the dot plots, you know, the forecasts from the individual members for liftoff, you know, the first rate hike, they thought that he thought that might come in and be even sooner into 2022. So, uh, you know, there are different opinions on this, uh, no doubt, but I think that's probably more important. Uh, right now than, you know, whether the taper is, you know, two months away right. or three months away.
2: Yeah, great point. And uh, we, We've talked about this last couple of weeks, I feel like. But I mean, don't forget in 20, late 2013, that's when tapering started then. The first rate hike wasn't until December, I think December 15th, around the middle of December 2015. So it took two years the last time when tapering started for the actual first rate hike, for whatever reason, we all kind of read the same stuff. Everyone's, oh, about a year. Then Powell put some cold water on that just recently. So it likely means we, we could still be a couple of years away from the first rate hike. Um, Jeff, let's not forget. I'll just wrap this up quickly. Let's not forget the calendar. We've talked about this a lot. September is the worst month of the year. Full disclosure we get it. The market has kind of laughed at a lot of these warning signs, these seasonal warning signs, sell and may go away. Although if you look at like industrials and financials and materials, a lot of these groups did peak in May. It's not like they've gone straight up since May. Now the stock market, the SP, yes, it's up. It's it's obviously been higher, but most stocks actually potentially peaked in May and have struggled kind of during the seasonally weak period, uh, the worst six months of the year. But getting a little more specific, The second half of September, the week after options expiration, which is right now, is actually the worst week of the year. Sure enough, we come in Monday and have a really rough day. Um, So just just be aware, after 104% rally with all the things going on, you know, the S&P just broke its 50-day moving average. Closed beneath the two days in a row. Hadn't done that for like I don't even know how long. I'll call it like a year and a half or so. It's been a long time since we had two days in a row beneath the 50-day moving average. It was the longest streak without two days in a row beneath the 50-day moving average since the mid '90s. I mean, we've been pretty spoiled. Uh, things obviously cracked the last two days or so. But again. The credit market's still good. Economy still looks pretty good. Earnings are still hanging in there. Uh, we think it'd probably be more of a buying opportunity. Jeff, I'll let you talk about this one. Historically, a strong start to a year tends to resolve higher. It's a, uh, some numbers that I did um, uh, on a blog, um, on, on at least on a YouTube channel. It says the rest of the year has been higher. Well, what is it? Um, I think it's eight out of 10 times when you have a start, a real solid start to the year, looking at the 10 best starts of the year ever. Um, Do you still feel that way? Do you still feel like like we probably are higher, at least on the S&P from right now, like this second until December 31st of this year?
1: Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, you know, bonds aren't particularly attractive. So if if there was an exciting place to go besides stocks, maybe I'd feel differently. Uh, You know, some people... um, I mean, we talked about why we don't think Evergrande is going to derail the bull market. Some people think the Fed might. But if you look at history, you know, the taper period of 2013-14 or just longer term history of rate hike campaigns, stocks do fine in that because it's the economic growth that drives the rate hikes. Right. Right. And that drives earnings growth. So I think the fundamentals are still pretty good. Um, You know, they're not quite as good as maybe they were a few months ago because we have seen a little bit of a slowdown and, you know, the earnings Maybe plateauing a little bit, um, you know, and the China slowdown becoming a little bit more pronounced. So, um, you know, it's not all um, uh, roses here, but certainly um, we think enough fundamentals are good enough to push us a little bit higher for the next few months.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, as of again Monday night, you've got about a four percent correction on the S and P. Yet, if you look under the surface. Your average stock has pulled down well into the double digits, right? I mean, you know, we've seen, I mean, believe me, most small caps have absolutely pulled down double digits. So it's kind of this rolling, quiet correction that's taking place. Maybe the headline Dow, SP aren't feeling it, but if you've got a well diversified portfolio, you probably feel like you're down a little bit more than 4% here. And that's, I'm not saying that's good, not saying that's bad. I'm just saying that's reality and that there's a little bit more weakness under the surface. I think it's like, Oh, I don't know. Some around 30% of companies are above their 50-day moving average. Remember the S&P just cracked it the other day, but a lot of stocks are beneath that, and that's actually getting closer to kind of washout potential where you tend to see, you know, it's closer to lows than not. So, maybe a little more seasonal weakness be perfectly normal but probably a buying opportunity. Jeff, again, um, you know, thanks for joining this week as always in 30 seconds, cause we've probably gone a little long. We get wordy. Sometimes talked a little bit, too much about movies. Maybe Although I like movies. So hopefully you guys do too. In 30 seconds, what are you looking for this week? Uh, well, I, I
1: I'll say the one thing we didn't talk about, which was all the goings on in DC, oh, right? So we good.
2: have good. I'm sick of it. That's fine. Uh, yeah. The, we yeah we'll, we'll do this
1: really fast. they Congress is going to raise the debt ceiling. The U.S. will not default on its obligations. So that's largely um, political theater and a, mm-hmm. a sideshow. But right. what's not a sideshow is the, um, you know, the infrastructure package and the tax increases that are going to be funding that. So we'll be watching that closely over the next couple of weeks. Uh, you know, there's some really interesting angles to this. Like what are the breakpoints going to be on the income? Uh, levels for the tax increases, sure. capital gains and income. What, what's the timing of these tax increases? Because we're likely to get them. We might not, but we're very likely to get them. Uh, so I'll be watching that real closely.
2: Yeah, I mean, and again, if, if people want to dive more into that, Barry Gilbert filled in for me last week. You guys did an awesome job. I think we called it, what it Politics Potpourri. What was the title? Um,
1: yeah, Policy Potpourri. I Policy believe. Potpourri,
2: my bad. Yeah, it was it was an excellent discussion of everything you just talked about in a minute there. You guys broke it down about 20, 25, 30 minutes or so. So check out last week's podcast. If you want to get a little more political, hopefully everyone enjoyed this week. So I'm going to bring us home though. So Jeff, thank you as always. Uh, great conversation there. Um, good luck to your Chiefs. Um, you know, I don't think you need you don't need luck when you've got you got that guy's a quarterback. You don't really need luck. I guess you need him to stay healthy. I guess is the name of the game. But everybody, thanks again. 150th podcast is pretty much in the books. Um, thanks to Dawson who's filling in today for Neil. When Neil and Dawson done a great job over the years helping us get this podcast out there to to everyone who wants to listen to it. With that, everyone, we'll be back next week um, to see whatever's going on in the world. We're going to talk about it. See everybody then. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: This material was provided by LPL Financial. Is for general information only and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risks, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and it's no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, and broker dealer. Member FINRA and SIPC. Insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliate. the bank or credit union. Securities and insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency, not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposits or obligations, and may lose value.